Welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 ABA Annual Meeting in San Francisco, California. And joining me now, I have a fun panel. Uh, this one came together. I'm so glad because uh, I've had a little exposure to this uh, in the past. And so it was titled, Uncomfortable Conversations About Legal Education, Student Debt, Diversity, and More. And it was sponsored by the Young Lawyers Division. But I have a great panel joining me. So I'm going to start to my left here. So let's start with uh, Kyle Fry. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Thank you. And then I have your partner in crime, Kyle McEntee, who I know a little bit better than I know you. How you doing over there, Kyle? I'm doing great. It's been a long day, but a rewarding one. Yes, yes. And then I met someone new here. So Ben Barros, you're a dean for law school in Toledo. And I, I did the holy Toledo joke. I'm sorry, guys. I had to do it. But uh, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks, Lawrence. Awesome, awesome. So just wanted, before we get started, I, I think the background of your experience is important for the listener. Give some context. So again, we're going to start with uh, Kyle uh, to my left here. But uh, your bio, where do you work? What do you do, Kyle? So I am in-house counsel at a large manufacturer based in Iowa, and I am also affiliated with the Iowa State Bar Association Young Lawyers Division. I am the chair of their student debt task force. I, I chair another committee as well for Big Bar, but for intents and purposes for this meeting, it was for YLD. All right. I've already met uh, other Kyle, Kyle McEntee here. So uh, we go back a little bit, but uh, some of our listeners don't know. So Kyle, where do you work? What do you do? So I am the executive director of Law School Transparency. Um, LST is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And our mission is to make entry to the legal profession more transparent, affordable, and fair. All right. And Ben. Hi, I'm Ben Barrows. I'm dean of the University of Toledo College of Law. About to start my fifth year as dean which qualifies me as one of the more senior law school deans. The average tenure is some about three and a half years. So wow. it doesn't take long to get in the top half of the rankings there. <laughs> Tough job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so well, let's start it out. So I, we definitely need to do kind of a 50,000-foot uh, address uh, to this uh, session that you put on. You had a lot of great speakers, and uh, the uncomfortable conversations part really got my attention. So, so Kyle, can you tell us how this all got set up, and what was the, uh, what was the idea of working with the uh, YLD from the ABA? Yeah, so today's session, it was four and a half hours long, and it had several panels and lightning talks and lectures all involved with our larger Blue Sky Initiative, which is a partnership between Law School Transparency, my organization, and the Iowa State Bar Association Young Lawyers Division, of which Kyle Fry is here representing uh, that group. And what we've done is partner with the ABA Young Lawyers Division, as well as a number of other organizations all around the country to try to figure out how can we affect the cost of legal education in big and small ways, uh, because we think that the price of legal education now is immoral. And we also think it stands in the way to diversifying our profession and ensuring that everyone in the United States has access to justice. Uh, so this was pretty much our kickoff to this uh, event. And so we, we started with a great panel with uh, three law school deans. So we've had Dean Barrows, Dean Camille Nelson, from American University, and we had Dean Carl Pratt from Washburn University in Kansas. And they discussed the barriers that stand in the way of uh, lowering cost. Because, you know, it's we can talk endlessly about who is to blame for the cost of law school being what it is. That's not very productive. Uh, so we want to talk about 
what it is that stands in the way of change, and then how do we actually get to that change? And those changes that we wanted to envision are what we saw throughout the rest of the day. So we saw some discussions about income share agreements as an alternative funding mechanism for law school. We talked about open source learning. We talked about U.S. News and World Report and what to do about that pernicious uh, influence on how law schools allocate their resources. And then we finally ended up with, okay, if we get all the structures remedied, uh, from the regulatory apparatus to the incentives landscape, what is it that law school should look like? And that's a panel that Kyle Fry led. Excellent, excellent. And so, you know, one of the things that got my attention was the lightning talks. And there's there's one topic in particular I want to get to a little bit later in our discussion here. But, uh, you know, I, what was the setup for the lightning talks? Like, how, how long were they? Who was on it? And what were some of the topics that you discussed? Yeah, so they were about 10 to 15 minutes each. Uh, it started off with a discussion about what the Blue Sky Initiative is, and then a discussion about the federal loan program and how we essentially talked about how law school's business model is built on a house of cards. Uh, that is, because law schools are so tuition dependent, that means that they're also student loan dependent, which means that if the federal loan program changes, their business model might come tumbling down. Now we can debate the, the chances of that happening, but it's devastating if it does. Uh, from there, we talked about open source learning. Uh, John Mayer from Cali gave a, a rousing uh, discussion about why open source learning is so great. Uh, and then we heard from Dean Jerry Anderson and Barry Cinnamon, uh, who is one of the chief architects of income share agreements. And these are basically an agreement that you pay a percentage of your income uh, instead of taking out loans. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then we heard from Paulette Brown, the, the rock star of, of, the, uh, of the day. And she talked about inequity in legal education and what it is that we should be doing to rem remedy it. Fantastic. So uh, I'm going to uh, turn our conversation here to Ben. So Ben, rumor has it that uh, U.S. News played a big role in your discussion today. And so I just wanted to get into the impacts thereof. Sure. So one thing I would say, I think any law school dean would tell you that U.S. News matters. Um, if U.S. News rankings goes up, everybody ha is happy if they go down. Uh, you hear about it. You hear about it from your university president, your alumni, your students. Uh, and so we as deans uh, and we in law as law schools are responsive to U.S. News. So in this context, there are a couple ways that U.S. News and World Report um, plays a role in this cost issue we're, we're talking about. But the biggest one and the clearest one, I think, is that a major component of the U.S. News rankings is expenditure per student. So the more money we spend, the higher our ranking is on that metric. And we're human beings and we're institutions made up of human beings. We respond to incentives. Uh, one thing that I think is really important in any time we can is set things up so that the incentives of individuals and schools are pointed in the right direction. Uh, this is a circumstance where the incentives point in exactly the wrong direction. So one thing I said today, and I, it's a joke that's been running around deans for a long time, but it's true. If at orientation we had a bonfire in uh, outside where we burned $20 bills for student entertainment, that would arguably help our U.S. News ranking, and that's really perverse. Um, and it also just in the more serious flip side, if I work really hard as a dean and my uh, school works really hard collectively to reduce costs and reduce expenditures, that actually hurts us in the rankings. And that's a perverse outcome. 
Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. You know, I, I commonly remark on the air that I am monthly reminded of the value of my legal education as I make that next payment <laughs> over the course of thirty some odd years. But uh, Kyle, I know this is a, uh, I know the rankings is a project of passion for you, and just uh, in terms of that, you know, what can we do to uh, unmoor schools from this pressure to be part of the ranking system? It's just so important that we find other ways for law school deans to validate their efforts. And they need to validate it to all kinds of stakeholders that have all kinds of different interests. And as Ben mentioned, it's university presidents, it's provosts, it's their alumni, it's faculty, it's the students, it's their pre-law students. Because at the end of the day, a lot of them are looking towards the rankings for some guidance because there's a chaos of information out there. And it simplifies it. And that simplification gives it authority and it gives it value. And then when deans run around in this rat race, it reinforces the beliefs around its authority and its value. So we really have to think carefully about how we can mitigate the damage that it does to not only the way law schools allocate resources, but the ways that it poisons the decision-making of prospective law students, because it causes them to make significantly worse career choices. Uh, we have people choosing the number 60 over number 90 in the ranking, even though they want to work where number 90 is located, and we have a very local profession. And so what we're doing through this initiative uh, between LST and the Iowa State Bar Association Young Lawyers Division is looking at, okay, what are, the, what are the things we can do in concrete terms? So one is, as Ben mentioned, there's the expenditures per student metric. And what can we replace that with? And the chief architect of the U.S. News Rankings, Bob Morris, has said, find me something better that proxies the quality of legal education and we'll consider it. And so we've come up with an efficiency metric that looks at how much revenue are you bringing in from JD tuition in an academic year. And then you compare that to the number of legal jobs, both long-term full-time bar required jobs and long-term full-time jobs that uh, JD is an advantage for. And that ratio, what it does, instead of the expenditures per student metric that will give you credit for burning money in a bonfire, it will instead incentivize. It's a great yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, I really can't is. take credit for it. It's been raining around for a while. <laughs> yeah, but so instead of that incentive system, what it would do instead is say, all right, any school that can get a lot of jobs for its students without taking as much of their money, that is a better school than one that is taking more money to get the same number of out, um, good outcomes. And that would have a pretty quick effect on the way law schools think about how they price their education. And then hopefully in the medium term could actually change the way they behave. So how, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how close are you to making that transition? I know there's been some conversations, I know I've obviously talked to you uh, in the past, but because uh, I'm fascinated, I think it'd be a great breaking story. Uh, so a little bit of self-interest here, but uh, how close are you, do you think, to uh, maybe perhaps making one of these critical changes? We're not that close. Uh, we've had some initial conversations. Uh, so several years ago, I authored a letter with, that was co-signed by Chief Justice Randall Shepard from former Chief Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court and Bill Henderson, a professor at Indiana University, Bloomington, uh, their law school. And we proposed something like this and there was initial interest, but we didn't get the timing right. Uh, this time around, Kyle Fry and I met with Bob Morse uh, in early May, and he was open to it. Uh, Kyle, I don't think you really share my optimism of this happening. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Well, you handed him a path forward years ago, and he didn't take it. 
And so I think to say, U.S. News, Bob, you have a ranking system, and it's reliant upon an expenditure that doesn't make a lot of sense, and it arguably causes people to light money on fire. <laughs> so there, I, there is there is no wrong time to adopt a new standard and an improved standard to just make that better. And so any pushback that it, it's the wrong time to do it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. It, just to jump in here, I, there's a lot of discussion of this particular metric. Uh, Bo Rutledge, who's the dean at the University of Georgia Law School, just sent a, a, a letter, um, a just open letter around uh, arguing for replacing it with a debt metric. Um, I think a debt metric is a little bit problematic because debt correlates both with expense but also with parental resources and um, is not exactly necessarily the, the, the right um, methodology. The, we've been talking in legal education about this metric for a long time. It has not changed. I, I really hope that Mr. Morse considers changing this. I will say that there, the most recent change that I think Kyle McEntee here can take an awful lot of credit for was the change in w the way that employment outcomes were reported. Um, and one of the reasons I love that is that it creates all of our incentives at a law school to focus on improving the job outcomes for our students. That's something I should be doing anyway, and everybody in legal education should be doing anyway. So the improving the rankings and improving student outcomes in the same direction, that's great. And so I think Mr. Morse has a lot of power in this context. And this is, a, if, if there's a way to change that kind of resource metric in a way that improves the incentives it creates, it would be a really positive change for legal education. So I just have a couple of minutes, but I do have two more questions. And so uh, uh, the last one, of course, is going to go to, uh, to to Kyle Fry, just about the legal profession, how we can help. But uh, before we get there, Kyle McAtee, uh, we were at the uh, Walter School Leading Edge Conference. And and uh, one thing that uh, highlighted, actually supported some of my beliefs, were the looming student debt uh, that's growing. And so I think at my last count, 1.3, trillion dollars wrapped up in student lending right now. And that is getting really top heavy. And so there is a mathematical limit to that, especially with the ROI kind of flattening within the legal profession upon entry into the workforce. And so I think that is a big problem. And so I just, I'm a numbers guy. And when I see stuff like that, my, my background in economics screams out that's a problem. And so I just wanted to uh, get into that. And I, I, how serious, and maybe, maybe we, start, uh, we start with Ben, how serious are educators uh, taking that right now? I know there's a lot of issues while well, the economy's good to try to get some of those, um, you know, get some of the endowments back up and build your reserves. But uh, how seriously are educators taking that right now? The issue of student debt in general, I, I think every educator I know cares a lot about it in the abstract. Uh, it's not clear to me that you're seeing a lot of action on it throughout the legal academy in general and higher education in general, because you see tuition still going up at higher than the rate of inflation. Yes. Uh, and, and it's been doing that for decades. Right. You know, and I, I teach at a, a state school, uh, I'm at a state school, where our uh, our tuition is relatively low. Um, even that's a lot greater than it was 15 years ago when we were getting more state support. So I think this is one of those things where our ideals, we, we care about that. 
I, I haven't met a single legal academic who doesn't really care about that. Uh, but I don't see the, the, the needle just keep, which is the, really the, was the theme of our discussion today. Uh, the, the needle just keeps going towards more tuition and more debt. Kyle and Kyle, what do you guys think? Well, I think some data uh, are in order here. So, uh, <laughs> so since 1985, and this is accounting for inflation, uh, public school tuition has gone up 582%. That's a lot of percent. Public or private? Public schools. Public schools. Thanks. And then okay. at private schools, it's gone up 273%. Right. And so what this actually turns into is high student debt. And so your average law school graduate who borrows ends up when they have to make their first payment with $133,000 of debt. And if you make the median amount of a law school graduate, 35% of your income goes to servicing that debt if you're not on some generous federal program. That's just not sustainable, as you pointed out. And that's why we have to figure out how to change the incentives and change the regulatory apparatus. Because unless we take that systematic and systemic approach, it's just going to be lots of people with, you know, in theory we like this, but what are they actually doing? And we need to figure out what actually motivates them. And that's what we've got ideas on is what actually does motivate people. And then how do we turn those knobs to get them to do what we want, which is more affordable, more accessible, and more innovative legal education. All right, so I'm going to turn the uh, final question here to uh, Kyle Fried. So the last question, of course, is how can the legal profession help uh, in your endeavors here? So at, at this point, we are in the fundraising stages to to move forward with the project. The The funds that we're seeking would go towards law school transparency to get the project going. And that would couple with a grassroots effort to work with the law schools to come up with new metrics, new objective data and measurements that we can use to determine what a quality legal education is moving forward. Excellent. Well, it looks like we've run out of time for this episode, but I do want to thank all of you for participating. Kyle, Kyle and Ben, uh, much, much obliged. And so, you know, if our listeners, they want to follow up, learn more about this, uh, how can they how can they find you? Why don't we, let's start with Ben and then we'll confuse everybody with Kyle and Kyle. And so I'm the Dean of the University of Toledo College of Law. Easy to find on Google. Ben.Barras at utoledo.edu. Excellent. And Kyle? I am likewise pretty easy to find on Google. Uh, you could my email address is kyle at lawschooltransparency.com. And uh, you can learn more about this initiative at lawschooltransparency.com slash progress. I am not easy to find on Google, but I'll, I'll give you my email address. It's just kyle.fry at gmail.com. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us. And uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in, because obviously without you, we wouldn't have a show. So if you like what you heard, please let us know. Or if you hate it, also please let us know. Uh, find us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, now on Spotify, but best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti, signing off from the American Bar Association annual meeting in San Francisco, California. Till next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.